Revelation chapter 12. whole chapter this morning. Please hear the word of the Lord. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared, appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she was to, has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice of heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses the, them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, but the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious, and the woman with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring and on those who keep commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Our Father in heaven, we pray for the blessing and for light as we look into your word to understand it. Mysterious words cause our minds to be puzzled and a bit confused. Bring clarity to us this morning that we may understand and see 
find encouragement and help, find instruction and guidance. We ask this humbly in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. Some of you may recall, as I remind you here, just as we begin, that when we were back in chapters 4, 5, and 6, looking at the seals that were opened on the scroll that was given to the Lamb on the throne in heaven, those seals all portrayed They portrayed all that has happened on this earth as a consequence of sin. All of the warfare, all the suffering, all of the famine, all of the disease, evident in the work of the four horsemen that were seen as those seals were opened up. There was safety and protection upon God's people. And there was also final judgment portrayed in the revelation of those seals. The vision of the seven trumpets were given in order that we might also understand God's role in judging sin in this world. The trumpets were given as a point of, from a point of view of God's perspective upon the sin of this world in that judgment was cast down upon the earth. The seals were just evidence as revealed as we look at them now and see them. That's how they were explained to us. But the trumpets were a declaration of God's judgment. Both views portrayed the same frame of time, the same history. And we could say that it was from the fall in the Garden of Eden until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not going to argue about it. If you want to say it's from the time of Christ in the Great Commission to his second coming, that's okay. It's not a salvific point. It's not going to determine whether you are saved or not. It just helps us understand both views portray the same frame of time. Both views culminate or conclude with a time of final judgment. So we have to see that both views, two views, are talking about the same historical picture but from different perspectives. We get one from our side and one from God's side. I hope I haven't confused you. I hope I haven't put you to sleep already. But I said that in order to say this. We see the same kind of fashion or the same kind of concept, the same kind of tool in this morning's text in Revelation 12. There are two views portrayed. One view of specific earthly events in verses 1 through 6. There is a royal mother, the birth of her child, and the attack from the dragon. Another view from the spiritual references, verses 7 through 12, give us a war in heaven. The dragon is defeated and thrown down to earth. So there are two views. We're going to be looking at that. There are two signs discussed. We've already touched on those. Portrayal of a woman, very special woman, and a dragon. There are two progressions or two results of what we have what we will be seeing there is the victory of a redeemer who is under threat and there is the church who is persecuted we'll see that as well and we're going to talk about a hymn that we find in verses 10 through 12 and then we will close with 
some discussion about two reminders of deliverance. Why is all of this important? Because here is where the book of Revelation shows us how vitally important the birth, earthly life, and sacrificial death and victorious resurrection of Christ is to his church. Christ put everything out and became very vulnerable, not just to those who nailed him to the cross, but also to the serpent, the dragon, Satan himself, in order that he might obtain victory for you and I. So we want to look at this this morning together. Let's begin with understanding the views. And all of this, I hope, will kind of blend together as we walk through it. The first view is one that's specific to earthly events, verses 1 through 6. The Bible talks about two signs. Let me talk about the first sign in this first view. Again, Revelation 12, verse 1, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with a moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. You might think, you might jump, and it, it would be, you wouldn't be the first one. And you probably won't be the last one. You would say, well, this is talking about Mary. But it's not talking about Mary. If you were snoozing already, I hope I woke you up just for a few minutes. Got your attention. Why is this not Mary? Because many understand correctly that this woman is the bride of Christ. However, the bride of Christ is not limited to the New Testament church. The bride of Christ was also described, words that describe the bride of Christ was also used for the people of Israel. Old Testament Israel was often referred to as God's bride in Ezekiel chapter 16. Very interesting chapter. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just the pertinent parts. The Lord, through the prophet Ezekiel, tells Israel, I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with a fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. I put on a ring, I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, your clothing was of fine linen and silk embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. So then, we see here in Revelation 12, 1 and 2, that he's not describing a poverty-stricken young girl who's giving birth. He is describing a lineage, a heritage, a nation. Genesis 3, 
Genesis 12, verse 3, the latter half of the verse, the Lord promised Abraham that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He's talking about his national heritage, the lineage from which will produce the Christ child, the Messiah, the deliverer. And that's what's being described here. He talks about a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Here is a spiritual queen, a nation. She was pregnant and crying out in birth, in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. What about Genesis chapter 3.15? I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Yeah, that could be applied more specifically to Mary, the seed of the woman. But right now, I don't think it's, we can see it as not just either, or we can see it as both and. We don't want to miss what is being taught here. The context of John's visions about the first sign in Revelation 12, we need to understand this first, describing the birth of Christ's child as the promise of God coming through the heritage of the nation, the called people of God. The called people of God were the ones who gave birth to the Messiah. So that is describing or making clear what the sign, the first sign given is. It's the woman, the bride of Christ, producing the Christ child. The second sign we see describing a dragon. Another sign, verse 3, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his head seven diadems. John gives his readers a hint of the earthly event he is writing about. When Jesus was born, Herod wanted to kill him. We all are very familiar with the story. And through Herod, Satan worked and manipulated the man's soul in order that he might be ruthless. in attempting to kill Satan. When Jesus was born, Herod wanted to kill him. But the Hebrew lineage that God's providence protected and directed was in order that the promise made to Abraham would be fulfilled in Christ himself. God kept his son safe. So this is the description of the first two views. It describes earthly events played out in history. The birth of the promised Messiah and the attempt on his life. So there are two progressions or two results or two subsequent processes. There is the victory of a redeemer who was under threat. We see in verse 5 a very broad picture of Christ's ministry. It doesn't go into much detail. 
says she gave birth to a male child who, was, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. It goes directly from his birth to his ascension after the resurrection, and that he is seated on the throne. We don't get a lot of detail about the actual mother. Revelation describes a mother as a royal mother or a queen, and Mary... Mary was just a young woman living in poverty. However, it is kind of neat to note, she was of the royal line of David. We trace her lineage in Luke's gospel all the way back, not just to David, but through David to Adam. She had, her son had every right be crowned king. Notice also that we do not get a lot of detail about the life and ministry of her child or our Savior. All that is given here is that her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The victory of our Redeemer who was always under threat in his life and his ministry, as we have studied before, has ultimate victory and is seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven. The second progression comes from the conflict between these two signs, the woman and the dragon. We see that the church is persecuted verse 6 the woman fled into the wilderness where she was she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days historically and from Matthew's account Mary and Joseph and Jesus fled to Egypt given instructions from an angel in a dream to get out of Bethlehem because there were those who would seek to kill the Christ child. But I don't think this passage, this verse in Revelation 12 is talking about that event. Since we've described the mother as John describes it as a nation, then the nation, the true faithful followers of Christ, believers in God, are the ones who flee, are the ones who are persecuted, are the ones who are protected for 1,260 days. The vision is not specific about, about a person, but a spiritual nation is in, mind, is in mind here. There are a lot of people who take this 1,260 days as half of the tribulation, but we're not seeing that here. We're seeing it as an incomplete imperfect amount, shortened time of suffering and persecution that the church must endure. And we usually see, and we see it as from the time of Christ's ascension until his second coming. So we see the first view, two signs, 
the woman and the dragon and conflict between them. We see the second view, John explaining who the dragon is. The dragon is Satan. We are given a hint of who he is. This is not telling us when he was cast down. It's just telling us this is the one who was cast down. In verse 4, and also we see it again in verses 7 through through 9. Verse 4, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. John is telling us in his vision that the one who threatened the Christ child was not Herod. The one who threatened the Christ child was Satan himself through Herod. And then he also shows us again in verse 7. This is the spiritual part. This was the view from God's perspective. War arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. The ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan. The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. A lot of people think that he's already in hell. He is already bound. He is already chained. He is limited in his authority and his ability to do what he wants to do. But this seems to suggest that he is not yet cast into hell. There is spiritual warfare going on in this world, on this earth. There was spiritual warfare in heaven, and now it is on earth. The Apostle Paul said, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. A lot of people like to look at that and say, Well, let's just corrupt and immoral governments that we're fighting against. No. When the scriptures in English say against the rulers of the darkness, the word for rulers there is cosmokator in the Greek. It literally means in the Greek, lord of this world or prince of this age. So this is very much talking about spiritual warfare that is going on now. Battling with Satan. Not just our own temptations, but battling with him. So we have the second view, which is a spiritual, about spiritual warfare, but there is also a promise of victory. In verses 10 through 12, some, a couple of commentaries I read describe these verses as a hymn of praise. So there's encouragement here. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. 
And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you with great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Because of what Christ Jesus has done, we who believe in him, we who trust in him, and we who follow him have victory. We are eternally safe. We might be a little inconvenienced. Some of us might be inconvenienced in this world. Some of us might be persecuted in this world. But this world compares nothing at all to eternity with him. The Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus once wrote, You once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The Apostle Paul was reminding Ephesus, as he reminds us, Before we knew Jesus as our Savior, we were serving the dragon, Satan. We were feasting upon the lusts and temptations and the failures, indulging in all of the immorality. We were there. Ephesians 2, 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And we have every blessing that we can possibly imagine already through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then we've seen, talked about two views, two signs, two progressions what about these reminders of deliverance? Now remember, this woman that is described here is not Mary. It is the church. It is the spiritual nation of true believers. It is the remnant. It says here that the woman fled into the wilderness where she was, she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. There is a reminder. What goes on with this woman, this nation, who is seeking shelter in the wilderness? He's already painted a picture for us that God's people are in the wilderness. We could describe this world in which we live a spiritual wilderness. It is spiritually challenging to live in. 
and it is spiritually frightening sometimes to live in and to deal with. So in one sense, we could, yes, it is a wilderness. But the, the apostle is borrowing from Old Testament language, Old Testament scripture, Old Testament stories. In verse 13, it says, When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, and he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, she's in the wilderness. Listen carefully to these next words. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to a place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. Time, times, and half a time is the same thing as 1,260 days. It's about three and a half years. That's the first reminder of deliverance. Why is that so special? Again, John, writing to a predominantly Jewish community in his day, they would understand what he is talking about. Go to Isaiah 40, beginning at verse 28. The Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint nor grow weary. He is understanding and unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exalted, exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. There is the word of encouragement John is pointing to. Reminding the people of Israel, reminding the believers of his day, the promise that comes through Isaiah. Think you have it so bad, just remember what the Lord has promised to do, to deliver you, that you shall mount up with wings as eagles. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness. There's the first reminder of deliverance. The second reminder of deliverance, verse 15. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep away sweep her away with a flood but the earth came came to the help of the woman and the earth opened his mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth then the dragon became furious with the woman and went to make war on the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus how is this a second reminder I could take you back to Exodus, but let me just visit Hebrews 11, verse 29. By faith, the author of Hebrews reminds us that they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. John, again, is pointing to an Old Testament story, Old Testament account, Old Testament history. Remember, I delivered my people through the Red Sea. I will deliver you from any attack, any onslaught from Satan. He will not 
swallow you up. He will not devour you. Remember the Lord Jesus told the disciples that the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. He will deliver. He will renew. He will refresh. We see, we read these mysterious words in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, and they are marvelous. They are wonderful. They are kind of exciting because they tell us of visions that we can only imagine, but they point to a reality, things that are going on in this world as we are dealing with persecution and things that are going on in the spiritual realm, spiritual warfare. And brothers and sisters, we are connected to both. In a sense, there is a transcendence between both. We have to deal with this world and be faithful to him and we have to realize the spiritual significance that's going on here. But we have the promise of deliverance. This is our hope in Christ. This is our promise of success. This is our victory. And if we can ever name and claim anything in Scripture, it's right here. God's promise of deliverance is an eternal promise. It is not an immediate promise. When we are faced with trial or even persecution, fear grows in the heart and doubt begins to overwhelm our faith. That's when we need to stand firm, look to the promises of Scripture, look to the promises of God himself, and trust that he shall deliver. Arthur W. Pink once wrote this, and I think it's appropriate. Instead of a flowing river, God often gives us just a brook, which may be running today and dried up tomorrow. Why? To teach us not to rest in our blessings, but to rest in the blesser himself. If everything in your life doesn't seem to be going well or going like you would like it to, and you think God's withdrawn some blessing or not giving you blessings enough, then you're trusting in blessings. You're very close to tripping and stumbling and falling. Learn to trust, trust in the blesser. Learn to trust in him alone because his promises are sure. And they are eternal. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and its truth and its promise. And we pray this day that we might be encouraged by your word. Let us see these marvelous visions in Revelation. And let us remember why they are here. They are to help us, they are to nourish us, to equip us, and to teach us. Let us realize how much you have done for your church, your people, your kingdom. May we live 
honoring you and worshiping you together. In his name we pray. Amen.